Amen. Please be seated. That song is becoming one of my favorite hymns. Thank you. Well done. I was greatly edified. I trust you were too. I could have sung that whole hymn all through again. At this time, I invite you to take God's word and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Today, we find ourselves in the last part of chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. The title of the message today is Jesus, the Great Physician. I want to begin by reading chapter 1, verse 40. And our text today will take us through verse 45. Mark 1, verse 40. The Word of God reads, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing... You can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. The most feared disease in the ancient world was the horrible disease of leprosy. In our day and age, we don't hear much about it because it's completely curable today. But in Jesus' day, if you contracted this repulsive disease called leprosy, you had no hope because there was no cure. It resulted in a slow and certain death. It began with a pain in a certain part of the body and soon led to nerve damage and numbness and loss of feeling in hands, feet, nose, ears, and eyes. Suddenly, bodily destruction follows because the nervous system, which is your body's warning system of pain, shuts down. It completely becomes unplugged. All sense of touch or feeling goes away. So a person with leprosy can feel no pain whatsoever. And now you may be tempted to think, well, that's a good thing, right? Especially if you're one who deals with chronic pain all the time. But it's not a good thing. Here's why. I once read a story about a woman who had leprosy. And the way it became evident was by simply washing her face with scalding hot water. Like many people, the first thing she would do when she got out of bed was go to the bathroom sink, fill her cupped hands up with water, and splash her face. How many people do that? That's what I do. 
But since she had lost the sense of pain in her hands and her face, she would unknowingly burn her face with extremely hot water until her face gave evidence of second or sometimes third degree burns. Now, ladies, wouldn't that be your worst nightmare? If she had not lost her sense of pain, then her body would have communicated to her the need to use cooler water. So if you have a relatively low pain tolerance, that's not bad. If you're hurting, that's God's ordained method of saying, stop. Make a change. People with leprosy do not have that. They do not have any way to detect pain. So like the poor woman who was using scalding hot water to wash her pretty little face, they rub, scratch, scrape, gouge, puncture, tear, and burn their skin right off their bones. And as you can imagine, what happens from there? The skin in those areas loses its color, becoming scaly and thick, and eventually turns into a dirty open sore with oozing ulcers and raw flesh. Eventually, if left untreated, the disease causes those it infects to emit a foul odor, making leprosy repulsive to the sight and smell. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop off. And they continue going from bad to worse to dying a slow, awful death. It's like dying in slow motion. There's more that could be said about leprosy, but I'm no physician and this isn't a medical class. It's called Hansen's disease today. And as I said before, it's almost always curable. So you get the picture, right? There's no wonder why leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases of the ancient world. But get this. The fatal prognosis and the disgusting physical effect of leprosy was not even the main problem to a religious Jew. One commentator said it this way. Not only were the lepers physically disfigured and socially despised, they were religiously defiled. In the law, the Pentateuch, Yahweh gave specific instruction to Israel regarding leprosy in order to protect his chosen people. If one was suspected of having the disease, he had to be examined by a priest. If the condition seemed more like more than a superficial skin problem, the person was quarantined for seven days. But if the symptoms worsened, they were sentenced to another week of isolation. After 14 days, if the, system, if the symptoms persisted and they did not disappear, he or she would be labeled by the priest as unclean. And the ramifications of that were immediate and severe. Listen to Leviticus 13, verses 45 to 46. It says, as for the leper who has the infection... His clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache, and he shall cry, Unclean! Unclean! 
He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So lepers had to isolate themselves from society. They had to be quarantined and be forced to live away from the general population. And if they saw someone approaching, they would have to warn them by yelling, unclean, unclean, which is saying, you better get away. Not only that, but the Talmud, which is a commentary on how to interpret and apply Old Testament law, said that the closest a leper could get to somebody was six feet. And on windy days, the distance was extended to 150 feet. So now, men, imagine you're a faithful believer in Jesus' day. You're out in the field, working hard, laboring to provide for your wife and children. And all of a sudden, somebody notices a, a strange, oozy sore on your arm. They go and tell the priest about it. They tattle on you. The priest examines you and decides you need to be quarantined. And then, you de- and then it hits you that you have to leave behind your wife and children so you don't infect them. After the two weeks has elapsed, you are in fact dubbed as unclean. Now it really hits you. Now for the rest of your days... You will live alone, in suffering, waiting to die. No visitors, no sympathy. That was the law. So now when you read leprosy in the Bible, that's what should come into your mind. In a day where this disease was not only feared by all believers and unbelievers alike, as well as considered unclean by religious people, there was only one man. One man who had the authority and capacity to deal with it for good, the man, Christ Jesus. Only he could deal with this disease in this time. There was no Swedish. There was no ICU. There was no pastor to call upon for visitation. They were left alone to die. In our passage this morning, Mark describes in detail one of Jesus' many healings during his ministry, summarized in verse 39. The leper's healing in verses 40 to 45 emphasizes Jesus' miraculous power over all disease, over the worst of the worst physical suffering. That's the simple, straightforward point in these six verses. Nothing more. Mark just wants you to see the healing, divine power of your Jesus. That's it. He continues to expose the divine person of Jesus. And so these six verses can be unfolded or or dissected in four distinct parts. First, the humble plea in verse 40. Second, the compassionate healing, verses 41 and 42. 
Third, the stern command in 43 and 44. And finally, the popular response in verse 45. Let's look at the first part of this narrative. It is the humble plea. Verse 40 says, And a leper came to Jesus. Pause. A leper came to Jesus. Here we see a downright shocking encounter. It was no less shocking because the leper came out of his quarantine, remember? And he had the audacity to not only inch his way and press his way to the crowd, but he had the audacity to approach Jesus. Now that you know the background of leprosy, this should shock you. This man was desperate. And the crowd must have been aghast. Because he was not allowed, by God's own standard, to have any social, any physical contact with non-lepers. As I've already explained. But he takes a risk. Why does he do this? Why would this leper risk discipline? Why would he risk infecting someone else by going through the crowd and approaching Jesus? Because he had heard about Jesus. He had heard of the power of this man called Jesus to heal. But he's not like the masses. He's not just going to get some treatment here. He goes in genuine faith. He searches for the great physician to find healing. The word leprosy here you see in your Bible, it's derived from the Greek word lepros, which means scale. And so it refers to the scaly appearance of the leper's skin. This appearance could have, could have ranged from anything from a chronic inflammation like eczema to a fungal scalp infection. It had a wide range. But the most serious type of leprosy in the Bible consisted of a devastating bacterial infection that disfigured a person's appearance and debilitated his nervous system, which, as I said already, usually led to death. We don't know what stage this leper was in by the time he found Jesus. We don't know how long he searched for him. We don't know how repulsive he looked. We don't know how much time he had left to live. The text doesn't say that, so don't read that into it. But we do know, we do know the condition of this man's heart. Mark records, continuing in verse 40, that the leper came beseeching him, falling on his knees before him, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This leper was begging the Lord, imploring him on his knees. Luke's account says that the leper fell on his face. And the Greek word for falling there in Luke, it it literally means to prostrate oneself. And in other contexts, it's translated as worship. For example, the apostle John uses the same word in Revelation 1.17 to describe his falling down like a dead man. In the throne room. And it's the same word Dr. Luke uses in Acts 9 to describe Saul's response 
when he collided with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. So this leper was not frivolous with Jesus. He didn't go up to him and give him a fist bump and a high five and say, Jesus, help, help, help brother out. He was worshipful. He was not nonchalant. He was sober-minded. He was not happy-go-lucky. He was dead serious. He was as humble as humble could be. You cannot get any lower than your face on the ground, can you? He was worshipful. He did not demand anything. He said, if, if you are willing. He knew he had no right. He knew that he didn't deserve to be healed. He knew he didn't earn anything. He had no grounds. He had no legal defense to argue. He had zero authority to demand healing from the Lord. And brothers and sisters, neither do you. You have no right, and neither do I, to demand anything from God. Whenever you go to the Lord in prayer, you say, God, if you are willing. If you are willing. Even Jesus in the garden, remember? Before he, before he knew he was about to experience being forsaken by the Father, and drinking the cup of divine wrath. Remember what he prayed? Jesus, or Father, Jesus said, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Again, as I preached two weeks ago, and as Aaron preached last week, we all must model our prayers after the prayers of Jesus. And listen, that in large part entails boldly going to the throne of grace on our faces. Just like this leper. Humble yourself in your prayers before God. Beg the Lord, if you are willing, Lord, grant me these needs. Grant me this blessing. Grant me this healing. Grant me this opportunity, if you are willing. The second part of this narrative that highlights Jesus' miraculous power over all disease is the compassionate healing. Verse 41. Mark says that he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Compassion. Unlike everyone else's, uh, everyone else in the leper's pathway, Jesus had pity. Most mainline translations render the Greek as moved with compassion or pity. But for some reason, the NIV says something different. Anybody have an NIV? It's okay. I won't judge you. Anybody have an NIV? Well, here is where I must say it's way off. And you don't even have to... Believe me, you can go compare other translations. It's the only translation that says Jesus was indignant. That does not capture it. Not even close to the original. First of all, the name of Jesus doesn't even appear in verse 41. So they insert the name of Jesus in there. But second of all, and most importantly, it is just a horrid translation of Splachnizomai, which 
literally means to feel something in the bowels. In other words, it means deep down in one's gut. So compassion, it's not, listen, this is important. Compassion is not simply offering a smile or a warm hug and saying it's going to be okay. That's not compassion. Compassion isn't even trying to empathize or sympathize with someone who's in a bad way. Experiencing true biblical compassion is when you're removed so deeply within your innermost being and that causes you to minister to somebody. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10? Jesus talked about a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was suddenly mugged and stripped and left for dead on the road. Jesus goes on to say that at some point a priest and a Levi walked by without even saying a word. But a Samaritan of all people, those dirty, half-breed Samaritans, who shouldn't have even been on that road in the first place, was on a journey. And the Samaritan saw him and came upon him and felt compassion and kept on going. Is that what it says? No. The Samaritan felt deep-seated compassion. And he ministered to this battered, broken, naked victim on the ground, left for dead. He patched him up. He put him on his donkey. He took him to an inn. And he even went above and beyond. He paid the bill, remember? That is a story we all marvel at, right? And as we should. Even the believing world borrows from this parable and labels when a good Samaritan, when a person commits a courageous act of heroism. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, the tale of the Samaritan absolutely and astoundingly pales in comparison to Jesus' compassion with the leper. You'll see why. The text goes on to read, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now this would have taken the breath away from everyone watching. You ever been in a room and, and something really weird happens, you're, <gasps> that would have been a time for one of those instances. It was one thing for this foul, disgusting man to even talk to Jesus. Because he was a leper. Who should have been quarantined. Shouldn't have even been public eye. But then Jesus. He doesn't harshly rebuke him. He doesn't pull back to get away from me, disgusting person. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, you are violating the law. 
go back to your house. He is moved with splonknon, deep-seated, bowel-level compassion, and he touches him. He touches a man who was stricken with the most feared and deadly disease of the day. No one has ever done this. No one has ever even been within six feet of this man in God knows how long. For every one step he took towards another human being, they took ten steps back. But Jesus, my Jesus, the opposite. He leaned forward, stretched out his hand, and he did the most jaw-dropping, dramatic act in his ministry to date. Upon reaching out, Jesus said to him, I am willing. And in the present, it's in the present tense in the Greek, it means I am always willing. I'm always willing to help. I'm always willing to stretch out my hand. And Jesus commands the disease to go away. Be cleansed. And immediately Mark goes on to say that leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Again, here we see Mark's favorite adverb, immediately. Which is there to say, to emphasize that there was no recovery period. There was no rehabilitation. In a moment, the leper who had come disfigured and defiled and despicable was instantly and radically transformed into a man full health. He became completely cured in a nanosecond. His sores vanished. His limbs were made whole. His skin looked new. His face was smooth and unscarred. His hair grew back along with his eyelashes. It was a miracle. No longer do you have to cry out, unclean, unclean. He could proclaim, I am healed. I can go back to my family. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the joy? I don't think we can. This is the power of Christ. This is the Christ you know if you're saved. This is the same Christ on the throne now. This is the same Christ who is coming again to transform your feeble, broken body into a body like his. And if that isn't enough to get you through the day with thankfulness, if that isn't enough, then you may not know this Jesus. Because he has come. has done something far more unfathomable and miraculous than healing a man with a physical disease. The third part of this narrative that highlights the person of Christ as he miraculously cures a diseased man is his stern command. Here we see a change of tone in the text here. Verses 43 and 44 Jesus sternly warned him, sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. Now, that's a pretty 
pretty significant change here in, in, in Jesus' emotion, isn't it? He goes from demonstrating this gut-level, deep-seated compassion to sternly rebuking him or commanding him to keep his mouth shut. Now, how strange is this for us? I mean, I mean especially, you know, Baptistic, Bible-believing Christians who know how important evangelism is. We read these texts where Jesus says, don't tell anybody. We're like, why? Aren't we supposed to go and make disciples? Why didn't you want him to do it? Well, as I've said before, I'll just touch on this again. The answer is simple. Why Jesus told this healed man to not tell anybody is because he did not want there to be any confusion with regard to his primary ministry. And if the man went and told people what Jesus did for him, his ministry would become diverted. Jesus did not come to heal. He did not come to feed. He did not come to launch social justice campaigns. He didn't even come to restore the kingdom to the nation of Israel. He came to do what? He came to preach the gospel. He came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And if people were going to come to Jesus... For anything other than hearing this message of salvation from the wrath to come, they would be coming for the wrong reason. Jesus did not want that. And guess what? Neither do I. Neither should you. If you have come to Christ for prosperity's sake, for morality's sake, for culture's sake, for relationships' sake, for tradition's sake, for politics' sake, then you miss the point. If you've come to church to be entertained, if you've come to church to conform to every whim and preference you may have, you miss the point. You come to Christ initially to be saved from the wrath to come. You come to Christ so that your sins may be blotted out. You come to Christ so that you can live eternally. And you sit at the feet of Jesus. So that you can know him. And the greater you know him, the greater your worship will be. I hope you come to church on Sunday to hear Christ preached. I hope you come to church on Sunday to sing the lofty theocentric hymns. I hope you come to church on Sunday to hear the scripture read without apology. I hope you come to church to fellowship and serve the body. That's where it stops. So this stern command, it speaks to what our mission should be as a local church. Since Jesus was not primarily focused on anything other than preaching the gospel of the kingdom, I submit to you that that should be our main mission, both corporately and individually. 
So make it your life's mission to proclaim Christ. Because that's what he was committed to. The fourth part of this narrative that highlights Jesus' miraculous power over disease is the popular response in verse 45. Picking up the narrative here in verse 45, it says, But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around. So we find out right away this man directly disobeyed Christ. (laughs) He did precisely the opposite of what Jesus commanded him to do. He added to the crowd frenzy surrounding Jesus to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. So it turns out, Jesus was right. He was right. If everybody found out about this healing, the crowds would come from everywhere. Just like He knew they would. And from a human perspective, it did have the adverse effect on this itinerant preaching ministry of Jesus. Whenever he would approach the next city, the masses would be waiting to see or experience the next healing. They just wanted to get a glimpse of the next miracle. But Jesus wouldn't have it. So he stayed, Mark says, out in the unpopulated areas. But as we continue to read, we'll see that that was only a temporary solution to the problem. Because in Mark 3, it says, a great multitude from Galilee followed. And also from Judea and from Jerusalem and beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people heard of all he was doing and came to him. Do you see, do you see, do you hear what I just read? Why did the people go to him? Because they heard what he was doing. They didn't go to him to hear what he was preaching. They were coming to him for the wrong reasons. And the Lord Jesus constantly rebuffs that motive. Why? Because they came to preach the message of salvation to the elect. Not to bring temporal, physical salvation to those who just so happen to inch their way to Jesus. So, what must we do with this story? How does this apply to us? You must see that this healing was a powerful demonstration of the person of Christ. First and foremost, only God could have healed a man inflicted with a grotesque disease like leprosy. But I also believe that this narrative is a picture of salvation from leprosy of the soul, which we all have. As one preacher said, sin is a spiritual leprosy of the soul. And since we all have sin, we all need a cure, don't we? And where do we find that cure? The same place where the leper found it. 
in the person of Christ. So if you have not found this cure, if you don't know you're sick, if you don't know that you were sick, then why do you need a cure? Only those who know and understand that they have spiritual leprosy of the soul and that they're literally dying in slow motion, spiritually. And just like the physical leprosy ended in death, spiritual leprosy ends in death too. And so when you understand that we need to be cured from this deadly disease called sin, you must respond with, how do I become well? Where's the antidote? Where's the cure? And that's only found in Jesus. Jesus is what gives us the cure, and we all must go to him in the same way that the leper did on our faces. And then we can say, Lord, please save me. Please heal me of my leprosy of sin. And the Bible says that he will. The Bible says that all who call upon his name will be saved. But the Bible says you're responsible. The Bible says you're all responsible to realize that you need to be healed and need to be cured from a deadly disease called sin. And the only way to find that healing is through faith in Christ alone. And so you see, that's how this message is applicable. If you've been cured, then you know this Jesus. If you've been born again, you know this Jesus. And you worship him. And you love him. And you seek to sit at his feet. And at this point, you're commanded not to keep your mouth shut. And this dispensation, you are commanded to go shout it on the rooftops. And if you're not doing that, it's sin. You need to go tell those who are sick with spiritual leprosy. We need to convince them they're sick. And then we need to point to the cure. We need to point them to the great physician. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've given us such a clear demonstration of your person. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us the cure from spiritual leprosy. We were disgusting. We were darkened. We were outside of the covenant. We were quarantined from the people of God. Oh, but those of us who heard the message, 
those of us who came to you in your sovereign, effectual work, in humility on our faces, you healed us, Lord, all by your grace. You gave us new life. You gave us salvation. You gave us spiritual salvation, which is far more inexplicably precious to us than any sort of temporal comfort. So, Father, may this be a tremendous reminder and blessing to those who are sick in our midst, to those who are old, to those who are struggling with pain, to those who long to see you and have a body like yours. May this be a wonderful reminder that you have given us spiritual healing. Thank you, Lord. May this encourage our hearts. And may this give us renewed zeal to proclaim this healing on the rooftops. In Jesus' name, amen.